In this episode, I talk with Kenzie, an amazing fourth-year medical student interested in integrative medicine, mindfulness, and psychology. We talk about her experiences that sparked her interest in holistic aspects of health and medicine, and how her experiences in medical school shaped these interests and her passion in women's health and OB-GYN. She has found ways to bridge holistic ways of healing into obstetric care through a research project bringing musical therapy to antepartum patients. We talk about the ways in which mindfulness can help one deal with and process the emotions of healthcare and being a medical provider. Of note, Kenzie was my first interview that I recorded, and therefore the audio unfortunately is not the best. I apologize, but I hope you can still enjoy my wonderful interview with Kenzie. Welcome to our podcast. Um, It's so awesome to have you um, be interviewed on our podcast series. So I just want to hear a little bit from you uh, about yourself. So tell me about yourself. Awesome. Thanks, Ellie. It's really exciting to be here. I love that you're doing this um, project. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, So also thank you for the introduction. Um, My name is Kenzie, and I've kind of found that I have an interesting view on medicine a little bit. Um, I'm really interested in integrative medicine and the ability of combining both Eastern and Western ideologies in a way that can holistically heal patients. And so I think sometimes when I tell that to people, they're like, what are you saying? (laughs) This doesn't really make any sense, or where are you getting this from? Um, But it's just kind of been an interest of mine as I'm a yoga teacher. I've read a lot of self-help books, a lot of spirituality texts, and just kind of looking forward to how that can more holistically help people. So it sounds like you've been interested in that for a while now. Is that something that kind of started before medical school, was something that started in medical school. Tell me a little bit more about how that interest started. Yeah, so it actually started in undergrad. Um, I unfortunately have had a lot of friends and people close to me die from suicide, and mm-hmm. I was struggling a little bit, and I read this book, um, and it said the word mindfulness, mm-hmm. and once I learned that word, it was like everything changed, um, and just learning how much you can control with your brain, and yeah. change, and react, and, and act instead of react, and create that yeah. mental pause and everything. Um, yeah. And that from there kind of was just like a beautiful jumping point. And I started delving into, you know, how can we use photography and mindfulness? How can we yeah. use yoga and movement and exercise and running and other ways that we can create that mind-body connection to really kind of like help ourselves. Yeah. yeah, I'm sorry to hear about, you know, the experiences in the past that kind of led to this interest, but sounds like you've used utilized it in a really neat and like impressive way. Tell me a little bit more about, like, what brought you to medicine. How, how did you decide to come to medical school? Yeah. Um, so I love this question. Um, I was a camp counselor for a billion years at a mm-hmm. summer camp in Burlington, Kentucky. Okay. Um, and I was always a counselor to the teens. So, like, like little rivalry of, like, who had the older kids and the younger kids. And mm-hmm. we always thought we were super cool with, like, the teenagers. Um, but I just – there were so many times where the kids would just kind of struggle and their parents might have been going through a divorce and they were bullying and mm-hmm. they just needed someone to talk to. Um, and my first interest in medicine was psychiatry, and I was like, wow, this is great. You can talk to people, kind of help them feel better. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't until my first year of med school that I realized that was actually psychology. Yeah. Um, and I totally yeah. was in the wrong yeah. <laughs> And that psychiatry wasn't necessarily counseling, and that was a different program. But um, I also have always loved the body um, and mm-hmm. kind of being able to heal both the body and the mind together. So. Yeah. 
That's really it cool. worked out. Yeah. I, so I'm actually interested in um, child psychiatry. Um, I'm applying into the, the triple board program. Nice. But I think that's such an interesting thing to note is that, you know, a lot of people think psychiatry is just, you know, sitting around talking to people. And it, some of it is, but it's a lot more like medication management than people think. And psychology is a lot of the more of the mindfulness type stuff, you know, like coping strategies, things like that. And the, the talking through things with patients, it's it's kind of interesting to think um you know, how that's a little bit different, um, the two different fields. You told me a little bit about, like, things in medical school, like, learning these different things about, you know, what you're interested in. Can you tell me about how medical school, the journey through med school has been for you so far? Yeah, so I definitely feel like it's like a old cheese or wine. It gets better with age. (laughs) During my first year was when COVID, I guess, happened. Oh, yeah. That kind of changed with everything. So I'm just so grateful that for most of my first year, it was in person. Um, And I love here um, at University of Michigan, we have two years of preclinical in one year. Um, And so I'm I'm a very people person. I'm very extroverted. And like, I think most of us come to med school to be able to work with people, not study for books. So being able to kind of like knock all that out first year um, and then actually get to work with patients and people and learn like clinical skills second year was yeah was really awesome yeah that makes sense I think I felt very similarly like I was very excited to jump right into Mm -hmm. clinicals um how did clinical year go for you I know that's also another rough year but sounds like it was you know great working with patients yeah yeah and I still remember my first rotation was OBGYN so even though I came in being like I mean and now I'm applying into OBGYN but like I'm gonna be a child psychiatrist I'm gonna try to you know keep an open mind yeah be open to everything but I love that first rotation I just um, I'm also a French speaker, and I remember one of my first patients um, was French oh, speaking, yeah. and I was able to speak with her and help deliver her baby completely in French. Oh, and wow. It was just so exciting to yeah. kind of bring different worlds together. Yeah. And I also was able to like use my breathing and like mindfulness relaxation techniques yeah. when people were in labor. So yeah, that just that first rotation really like stuck with me. Yeah. That's really, that's so impressive. Yeah. It sounds like a great like first patient mm-hmm. experience to have, and then you know, realizing that your interests can really fit into this, this field as well. Um, that's so interesting to hear. I feel like, tell me a little bit more about what that rotation was like. Did you feel like going through it, you were like, this is what I want to do. And it kind of really changed your perspective on your specialty choice. Yeah. So because I was kind of struggling because it was my first rotation. So I didn't know yeah. how much is like, is this just the excitement or just, you yeah. know, have a lot of energy still. It's the beginning of the year. Yeah. Um, but kind of throughout the years it went on, I still thought back to like the OBGYN. I was like, oh, mm-hmm. I really liked this. And um, I worked with one um, physician, Frank Anderson, who now is in Florida, oh, okay. um, and he does a lot of mindfulness meditation stuff. And so he oh. became a mentor to me, yeah. and he was an OBGYN. And so he knew I was a yoga teacher and knew that yeah. I like loved all the mindfulness famous instructor people and have written too many books. Um, and so with our patients in clinic for OBGYN, he let me like give out yoga stretches to help with pelvic pain. Oh, cool. And he let me like leave meditations during the clinic visit. And it was so nice to have that freedom yeah. and ability to be like, wow, like I can actually do these holistic things in yeah. the medical, like in the doctor's office. Yeah. And that's I really cool. didn't see that in any other rotation. Um, yeah. And I think that's interesting because I thought I would see that on psychiatry, um, and I didn't necessarily. Yeah. Um, just being it was inpatient service versus outpatient. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I actually worked with Dr. Anderson too. I remember he was very big on mindfulness, which I thought was so impressive working with him. Um, I just remember one instance where we were running so behind in clinic, like yep. two hours behind, and the MA was like getting angry, and he's like, 
it's not a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, we, we see patients when we see them. Yeah. And we, we got through all the patients. So, yeah, yeah, I think that was just like a very impressive way to, you know, approach medicine and run your clinic too. Because um, he's very thoughtful about the time he spends exactly. with patients. And giving patients the time they need and not yeah. just being like forced to stick to the quick schedule. Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. That's awesome. And so did you kind of tailor your third year electives to OB-GYN? Did you get to explore a little bit? How yeah. did that go? So that was also, I still was thinking psychiatry, despite that okay. grade. Um, <laughs> yeah. But so, you know, the fun lottery system we have to select yeah. classes. And I unfortunately was unable to get into any sub-I's. And I was like dying for the psychiatry oh, yeah. sub-I. Yeah. Like, I know I need this to like, get into residency. I need it. I was thinking of child board, like the triple year degree as yeah. well. Um, and just couldn't get it. And then one day hit refresh and there was a spot open on the maternal fetal medicine. What did you win? It's a yeah. sign. Um, yeah. and then I just like clicked it and did it. And it was the hardest, but most incredible and like yeah. strength building month of my life. Wow. And from that moment I was like, okay, now I'm doing. Yeah. That's impressive. It was amazing. Yeah. I've heard, I mean, that's a tough rotation or a tough sub because it's, I mean, it's an intense service in general, but also, I mean, it's a surgical service mm-hmm. and you see a lot of like high acuity cases from mm-hmm. what I've heard. So, um, like kudos to you <laughs> for being able to do that. Is there, is there anything about that like rotation that really stuck out to you? Like certain cases, patients, um, something you felt like really pushed you that you were like, this is what I want to do. Yeah. I think also that was the time that I was able to launch my research. I do oh, research cool. bringing music therapy services to the antepartum patients. Oh, wow. And so being able to start like the research in terms of like starting full-time music therapy services while also being on the service and yeah. the unit and like getting to meet the patients that then would be able to use our services yeah. was really cool. Um, That's impressive. Yeah. And just even being able to spend so much time on the unit and I had one patient who's also an employee here who, <laughs> who just was amazing and just opened everything. Yeah. Um, and I, like, brought in my, like, singing Tibetan bowls for oh, her. And, wow. Like, we do meditations. And yeah. with younger patients that were really nervous or if there was a first child, I'd do more of the yeah. kind of meditation things. And yeah. just getting to, like, launch all of those resources yeah. and kind of just being the one figuring it all out yeah. and seeing it in action was really cool. That is, that is so cool. That's amazing. Um, tell me about how you got involved in that, especially as, like, a form of mindfulness, like, music therapy. Um, tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, so it actually goes back to college. Um, my first ever, like, or one of my first research experiences was teaching chair yoga um, mm-hmm. and playing different types of music to the aging population mm-hmm. and looking at how that affected, like, rates of dementia versus depression in the elderly and wow. kind of mindfulness, mental health in the yeah. aging population. Um and so then I continued by just, I had like done a little bit of reading about music. Um, mm-hmm. And then I took over um, a student that used to go here, who's now a resident at Northwestern, Anna, mm-hmm. um, her research that was just investigating kind of like overall wellness needs that are lacking on the antepartum unit. Wow. Um, and one of the like ideas they had thought about was like maybe some sort of music therapy thing, but it had yeah. never taken off. Yeah. And I was like, this is great. Like, yeah. we're going to do it. Like, I've read stuff on it. I know this is awesome. Yeah. Um, and I was put in touch with uh, Meredith Irving, who works, she's the new Sophie's Place studio manager, which is our mm-hmm. music studio in Mott. Oh, which is cool. super cool. Oh, just my gosh. opened. <laughs> um, and then as well as um, just kind of like working with all the music therapists. And we were able to hire um, Emma, who is our full-time music therapist on our service. Um, And so just being able to kind of oversee the hiring and establishment of like a full-time program is just so cool um, and just really grateful to Meredith to be able to like support this and get this off the ground running. That's awesome. Have you noticed that like 
I mean, I'm sure you're doing the research on it and maybe have seen outcomes, mm-hmm. but do you feel like you've seen like within talking to a patient or doing this therapy with a the patient of seeing like differences and how the patient does? I think definitely. I think most importantly, not necessarily that like music therapy is the right perfect answer, but having yeah. some sort of like longitudinal emotional caregiving therapeutic experience while yeah. in patient is so important. Yeah. Because these patients are just, I mean, as you know, like hospitalized. It's yeah. so boring. They're alone. Yeah. Especially during yeah. COVID. They could have no visitors. Like they're yeah. living babies totally alone. And it was just hard. And being able to see like there is a caregiver who cares about you, who has the time to really listen yeah. to you, kind of like distract you. But we can also like, I say we, I don't actually do any of the music therapy. I have no certifications, but our music <laughs> therapist, like yeah. teach you to play an instrument and she'll write like a lullaby that then is played oh, to so babies cool. when they're born. Wow. And then we can then connect with the NICU. So then once the babies yeah. are born, they can still hear that lullaby that they heard while they were still in utero. Oh, that's so beautiful. I really like that. That's really cool. Yeah, I feel like I've seen patients in the hospital where just, I mean, it really affects mood and just overall well-being, being stuck in the hospital, especially with nothing to do. And, you know, most patients have like a TV in front of them, mm-hmm. but that's not always the most mindful activity right. to do or even healthy activity to do. So it's awesome to see that there's, you know, other avenues for wellness and well-being and, um, you know, entertainment in the hospital too, because I feel like people really, people really need that when they're trying to heal. Yes, for sure. That's awesome. Um, so I know you mentioned like other like types of mindfulness practices that you're interested in. And is there any other particular things you've been involved with or, um, things you want to explore in the future as a future healthcare provider? Yeah. So I do a lot, um, of stuff on like medical student wellness and kind of hoping that we can yeah. Yeah. <laughs> decrease burnout yeah. and you know, help stress levels a little bit. And some of that has kind of changed the system, yeah. but I think some of it is we can do it like on the ground level. Yeah. Um, so I've like taught a chakra-based yoga class every summer with my friend Kieran, who's also mm-hmm. an M4 here, um, to first-year medical students. And we now have cool. a yoga planning committee, and there'll be free yoga twice a week for oh, a whole year awesome. for every student. Uh, and so just kind of championing those type of things. Yeah. Um, and then I also was able to get like a resiliency training workshop that we have access to for the next couple of years. Yeah. Um, that's like medical student specific. It yeah. just talks about like vicarious trauma. Yeah. Because I think something I didn't know before starting med school is how much trauma that you can pick up by just being there. Yeah. Like it was the first time I've seen someone dead, which yeah. is awful yeah. when someone is coding right there and yeah. no one, you don't really learn that, you know, like yeah. how, what to do with your emotions, where to yeah. go. Um, yeah. And so just trying to kind of think of those resources to yeah. help bring yeah. that into the curriculum where it's lacking. Um, you mentioned seeing, you know, like a code or a patient die. What sorts of things have you found to be helpful in those experiences? Because those can be pretty, like you said, traumatic experiences yeah. to witness, especially as a medical student where you're, you know, not sure of your role sometimes mm-hmm. and not sure of like what resources there are for you to kind of deal with that. Yeah, I think that's the hardest part as a med student because you don't really know your place. And I think there's a difference between like a second and a third and a fourth year student in terms of you feel like you just have more confidence to ask for the things you need, mm-hmm. which I wish that like looking back all, you know, new clinical students would have that yeah. ability to be like, hey, like I'm not okay. Or like, can I step out? Yeah. That type of thing. Um, I'm thinking in particular about the one patient that I'm like imagining in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was in EC3, which is our IC level emergency care yeah. um, sub-internship. And just like, I think it was the most helpful for me to see that one of the senior residents like stopped us all after a patient passed mm-hmm. and was like, let's take a moment of silence. Yeah. And just paused. Yeah. And that was just like, like 
when I'm going to be resident, like I'm going to do this. It's yeah. So, so important. And then I just, I always like need to physically get away. I feel like um, I'm yeah. an empath and it's kind of easy to like absorb the emotions and the feelings. Yeah. Um, and so I just like went up escalator, went on a little walk and I've reflected yeah. on that person in their life and just kind yeah. of like thought about their family and I don't know their expression in the last moments. It just, it was hard yeah. being like one of the three people that were with that person, like in their last moments. Yeah. Yeah, just taking that time. (laughs) It's a heavy thing to deal with, I think. And it can be, especially like a first step or a first code is something that can stick with medical students, Mm -hmm. you know, for a long time, remembering that and kind of going back to that moment. So it sounds like you have some good coping skills that, you know, you can utilize in that moment. Um, Do you feel like that experience impacted kind of the way you think about medicine or the way you think about, I know you mentioned wanting to do that as a resident, you know, do you think it kind of influenced the way you think about how we practice, you know, dealing with death in medicine in a way? A little bit. I think it just, again, kind of like what I said with the resident thing, like for future years, just the power of debriefing too. And then the power Mm -hmm. of role modeling and knowing that it doesn't make you any less stronger of a physician. You show emotions. Mm -hmm. I have one faculty who was amazing and, would talk about like she cried all the time mm-hmm. and she's been an attending for years and I think that's something yeah. kind of struggling as like a female physician too like how much emotions can yeah. you show yeah so we're humans we're not robots yeah These are real heavy things and there's yeah. a difference of you know not wanting to bring all of this home with you and your personal life intermixing but I do think there needs to be that element of feeling yeah um, because we are doing a compassionate human yeah. service yeah that's true yeah I think there's a role for emotions in medicine you know they come up because not only are patients experiencing tons of emotions in the setting of, you know, sickness, healing, things like that, but then also, like, we experience it vicariously through them, and we also have to, you know, deal with the emotions of caring for people and people not getting better or experiencing those those really tough moments in medicine, um, which I think is another great, a great way that mindfulness comes in. I'm, I'm thinking back to... Um, working with Dr. Anderson again, now that you brought it up, but he was very like, I don't know, that was his kind of the way he would talk about it is like mindfulness in the moment Mm -hmm. of talking with the patient. And I think that's a great way to kind of not, you know, get rid of emotions, but pick up on what's there and be, you know, okay with what, what's coming up. Um, is that kind of your interpretation of mindfulness as well? I say that mindfulness (laughs) in the moment. And I used to, I think when I would Back, I feel like now mindfulness has become a little bit more universal, but when I first got into it like 10 or so years ago, it was like, a, I don't know, not a foreign concept because it's been around for a while, but at least yeah. in Western culture a little bit yeah. less kind of like pop culture-y. Yeah. Um, and I think it's easy to think about mindfulness being like you have to sit and like do like two hours of yoga or yeah. like yeah. a 30-minute meditation with your eyes closed and no distractions, but like that's not realistic. And I think I like that phrase of mindfulness yeah. in the moment because it's kind of like the moments where we can just be like, okay, pause, like, how do I feel? How yeah. am I reacting? Let's put a little space here, yeah. take it in, and then, like, let that feeling go. Yeah. Kind of move on. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, what role do you think, like, integrated medicine, um, like, Eastern medicine, mindfulness will play in your role as a future ob Yeah, great question. So I'm hoping to be able to kind of start my own practice, um, I just rotated a few months ago on the Chinle Navajo Reservation. Oh, wow. Um, and we got to work with a local medicine man um, and just kind of learn and see all the beautiful ceremonies and things that they do. Yeah. And I just love that ability of being able to go and work with different populations that already have their own culture and their own spirituality yeah. and their own ceremonies. Yeah. And being able to work that in, like, tandem with 
kind of our like Western medication and not yeah. making it like an either and or, um, yeah. but kind of finding that beautiful you know, symbiotic relationship yeah. between it all. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm hoping like in an ideal perfect situation where I have no student loans and it's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. easier, I'd have like just like an OBGYN clinic where anyone can kind of come in. Um, they can get like their medical like physical needs like get your pap smear get like delivery yeah. of babies do all that they can get like a massage acupuncture yeah um they can do therapy they can i don't know have like um what's it called like physical like safety classes like defense yeah. classes yeah. um yeah just kind of a, like a whole ton of resources yeah. and then have that on like a sliding scale yeah because um, i think a lot of these opportunities some do exist, but they're pretty difficult to obtain for yeah. most of the world, yeah. um, other than yeah. like a marginally very wealthy. Yeah. That sounds awesome. That sounds like a, an amazing practice. Again, a goal, ideal. Yeah. <laughs> In an ideal world, and I think it's definitely doable, but it's, yeah, such a great way to think about how we practice medicine. Like, I don't know, sometimes when we're stuck in the hospital, I think of how it's such a, you know, Western way of practicing mm-hmm. healing in medicine, and so I like the the different ways of practicing can be really beneficial to thinking about how to address all of patients um, wellness um tell me a little bit more about this like rotation you did um at the reservation you said it was yeah yeah, yeah. tell me about it so it was through Indian Health Services or IHS mm-hmm. um and Chinle is this small little part of the Navajo Nation it's mm-hmm. like in northeastern Arizona like really cool. close like to the Four Corners area yeah um and they actually have a, or a show about basketball team on Netflix called like Basketball or nothing about the Chinle <laughs> High School team, so I'm very cool. proud yeah. um, about the local basketball team. Yeah, but it definitely when I like, arrived there, I just was like, well, like there's so much dirt and yeah. nothing else. Um, yeah, and it was just very powerful to be there. Um, and I just think it's so important to be reminded of like the sacred nature of first the first people who lived here. Yeah, um, and just the sacred power that we have and how we can relate to the world. Yeah, and I just felt even as even though they like have a hospital and a clinic I just still felt a lot more grounded and able to connect with patients a lot deeper and with the IHS there was less limits on time with patients and things like that and just getting even like going out into the community and you'd have to drive sometimes like two and a half hours to see one patient it was just really powerful and it I think it was a good reminder that especially in Michigan all I had seen was Michigan um it's a good reminder like you said before there are so many other ways of practicing medicine and one isn't necessarily better than the other but just important to kind of keep our mind open and and know that we can learn from anybody and everyone that's really cool a lot of people kind of think there's like a huge divide right between like western and eastern practice of medicine in some way they are different and they could be at odds with each other in some way they're really compatible like you said like there's different ways of practicing healing and there's ways that they can be incorporated together. What is your kind of like interest in different practices of medicine or different practices of healing? Is there anything in particular that you're, you know, really passionate about or really interested in and want to learn more about? So I also recently decided I think I'm going to do an addiction medicine fellowship. I'm going to say it now. Cool. <laughs> On the record. Um, so I think one of my like newer interests is how we can use mindfulness and these techniques as a way for like non-opioid pain management yeah and so I think like that would be like a beautiful way of how we can combine like this terrible opioid crisis that we've unfortunately kind of created yeah yeah in this world yeah um, but pain is also a real problem as yeah. well um and so I think that would be like my new upcoming interest of how we can do it and there's 
a lot of cool studies. I know that here in Michigan, the Department of like Spirituality, and I'm going to butcher the name, yeah, <laughs> has done some really cool lectures yeah. about pain, and yeah. there's some studies about like Buddhist monks and like fMRI studies and what lights up in their brain and like the insula region and basically like the same area of pain relief that would kind of be seen with medication comes up when the monks are meditating and wow. so it's like to know that just the power of thought yeah. and being in the, like in the flow or in the moment yeah. can give you similar pain relief even to like the neurological level is pretty yeah. cool that is one area first of all like addiction medicine so underserved and like so much need so I think that's like an amazing fellowship to pursue but pain medicine is something that I think we're really, really lacking in yeah. even just like any like basic understanding of pain Mm -hmm. Uh, sometimes I think like we just have a way of like throwing pain medications even if it's not to the level of like opiates but like you know we kind of just say like here's we'll take care of pain because it's important we always need to address pain I think but sometimes I'm like it's crazy how little we really know about different things that cause pain I mean you have like inflammation things like that but if you think about chronic pain conditions most of them people are like don't really know the underlying cause and so it's really interesting to me that that's such like an under not understudied because there's a lot of like study on it but you know under under like very misunderstood field of medicine I would say so I think it's also interesting to me to think about different ways we can address that I used to be a doula um so you know think about different ways to address pain and like pregnancy during labor is would you do like breathing stuff or what would you do um like breathing stuff a lot but there's I mean a lot of massage as well and um a lot of the time women have really bad like as you know like back pain and hip pain I remember one time I was taking care of a patient and she was having really bad hip pain and there's a one like basically it's not even a massage you just basically like press on a woman's like hips and like press really hard together um and she was like I like my pain is gone when mm-hmm. you did that and it was crazy to me I was like I'm literally just putting my hands on you yeah. and so it's it's really impressive to me like these different methods of addressing pain that yeah. we have that are non-pharmacological and right. kind of are not really utilized in a lot of settings so yeah. it's it's really I think it's something that is really important too yeah. that we should be looking into and and studying more and it's cool learning that there's so many similarities between healing modalities. I think mm-hmm. I didn't mention I'm also a Reiki instructor as well. Oh, cool. um, and I just started that kind of this year. But knowing that, you know, Reiki, for those that don't know, is like a form of Japanese um, subtle body energy movement with yeah. sort of gentle touch, like gentle energy massage, kind of similar to kind of what you were doing. But yeah. there's so many parallels, whether it's like Reiki versus even like other hospitals have like gentle massage services and yeah. just energy work. And, you know, some people call it prayer and you know, in prayer, people will, like, lay their hands on someone and, like, put a blessing on them. And yeah. It's just, I love how, no matter, like, what culture or religion or spiritual practice, there are so yeah. many commonalities. Yeah. So it's like, what is that? Like, you know, that it yeah. has to work if so many people have different names. Yeah. And it works in different ways. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's true. It's very interesting. I'm fascinated by <laughs> it. <laughs> um, you mentioned, you know, interest in spirituality as well. Can you tell me a little bit about what that means to you and what does it mean to be spiritual and what role does it play in medicine? Yeah, so I think having, believing in something bigger than yourself and kind of believing in a connection between yourself and everything around you as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's just like remembering where we come from and like our roots and where we can grow, but also the humanness that we have. Mm-hmm. And we live in this world where like we're placing so many expectations on ourselves that are kind of impossible to go to and I think that having that belief in something bigger than yourself kind of allows you to stay on course and 
realize that like your life is worth has meaning and you know is yeah. worth something um but i think at least in medicine important at least with our patients to really determine do they have a spiritual belief because mm-hmm. if they don't i'm not you know yeah don't want to put something in their in their minds that isn't but I know I worked at the VA with Dr. Cronin, um, and a lot mm-hmm. of patients um, at the VA are religious of some sort and believe mm-hmm. in like usually Christianity or some sort of prayers. Mm-hmm. And so oftentimes patients would ask him to pray with him at mm-hmm. the end. And so we would end our rounds every day, like praying with the patients. Yeah. And he would hold the patient's hands and just like, and I don't know when the patients would cry. And they're these like old men who have, yeah. you know, been through so much and been in war and seen so much death and yeah there was just like a moment of like quietude quietude is not mm-hmm. word, but quiet and yeah kind of like gratitude and pause yeah um that in a way was like a form of healing itself and yeah i hope that that can be continued in med- medicine and in the hospitals or out of the hospitals and yeah. again it doesn't have to be words or prayer or meditation but even something mm-hmm. as simple as just like recognizing that that person is not just labs and yeah. numbers and a yeah. job but like that person is a family and yeah is a person and I feel like prayer can be a form of, like, meditation. Or, mm-hmm. You know, you're relying on something other than yourself. You're speaking often to, you know, a higher being, and you're kind of, I don't know, you're, like, surrendering yourself mm-hmm. to that in a sense, but also having, like, a quiet moment to be able to call on that that higher being, which I think can be really powerful, like you said, for a lot of patients who are religious or spiritual, and I think it can play a role in medicine, especially when oftentimes come into the hospital things are outside your control or you don't have control of your body and so you you know rely on what what you can you know and what is brings meaning to your life which is is very powerful have you ever done like a like a spiritual like um, i want to say like you know when you ask patients about their spirituality yeah the spiritual an interview history. yeah the history yeah. yeah ever done something like that trying to think i know we do at michigan we have that like the class where we work with the chaplain lj mm-hmm. um and then we're able to kind of learn about, yeah, how to do a spiritual history. Mm-hmm. I don't think that I ever had the chance to officially do one. I know I would ask, I think I would ask, like, on the reservation more so if people were, like, traditional, meaning, like, did they believe in, like, the traditional, like, Navajo medicine and the rules? Because mm-hmm. um, they had some, like, really, really interesting rules, like, they can't touch the death, you can't talk mm-hmm. about death. Um, if you talk about death, then that person will then think that they're going to die or they're going to, like, catch the death. Yeah. Um, so I think, like, trying to be more culturally aware in those situations. But at least here in, like, the hospital, fortunately, have it. Yeah. Have yeah. a chance to really delve into that. It's, it's one of those things where you never, like, like sexual history sometimes mm-hmm. is, like, not relevant to, you know, what you're interviewing. But you want to learn those things mm-hmm. as well. Um, but I wonder if it's something that could be more meaningful if we, you know, don't have to ask about you know religious history or what people believe in but asking about what brings meaning to people's life Mm -hmm. i think can always be valuable especially in particularly challenging cases or you know um you know patients who are you know at the end of their life as well Mm -hmm. tell me a little bit about how like spirituality plays into your role as you know healthcare provider if you if it's influenced your your decisions to become a doctor at all or influenced you know that kind of medicine you want to practice or doctor you want to be so I think it didn't help to influence my kind of decision from psychiatry to OBGYN actually Mm -hmm. um, because I felt that psychiatry it would be harder to maintain just because I do feel like so empathetically connected to a lot of patients and there's a lot Mm -hmm. of mental duress with psychiatric conditions yeah um that like for my own spirit (laughs) it would be hard to kind of like maintain that yeah. Same level um, versus OBGYN, you know, surgeries, and you can do a bunch of other variety of things. But yeah. I think just every, anytime that I meet like another physician or 
a faculty member and med student um, that is also interested in spirituality of some sort, meaning like they believe in some sort of deeper thing. Um, I don't know. It just feels like we can just connect a little bit better and feels like it, you, I feel like I keep saying this, but um, you just like see the humanistic and importance of the human of medicine. And yeah. I just think that sometimes it can be lost and it's easy to get lost when they get burnt out and you know, you're just like cutting and doing surgery and it's just a body, but remembering like it's not just a body, it's a person, there's a spirit, there's a soul, there's so much life in there. I think I heard um, one of the attendings I was working with the other day said like the definition of burnout is you know, feeling purposeless, like you've lost your purpose in what you're doing and I think spirituality or like believing in something bigger than yourself can be a purpose, right? And it can kind of mitigate against burnout. Um, which is, it sounds like kind of that's what your hope is. It's related to, how, you know, why you want to practice medicine mm-hmm. and um, probably your purpose as well, it yeah. sounds like. Um, a um, tell me a little bit about being a student in the OR and, um, you know, <laughs> your interest in um, surgery. You mentioned, like, surgery on patients. How, what is that like? Because I think that's a big, sometimes can be a big challenge and you know, it's where people divide. I hated surgery. I love surgery. Yeah. Um, so tell me a little bit about that. Because OB-GYN is kind of a blend of both yeah, medicine and surgery. Beautiful both. Um, yeah. I think at least the cool part of the OR and certain type of OBGYN is doing C-sections, right? Yeah. Because the patient's awake. Yeah. Um, but then they can't feel anything from the waist down. And you're also bringing life into this world. So yeah. pretty exciting. But I think that is like the perfect combination I love because yeah. you can be there like supporting the patient. Usually like ask, you know, what kind of music do you want to be played? How can you like, yeah. what do you, do you want to be distracted? Do you want to know what's going on? Do you want to chat? And you're able to really remember that that is a person because you're seeing yeah. and talking to them. Um, and I think I have unfortunately seen oftentimes where people forget that what they're doing, their job, that is a person and that is a body. Yeah. Um, especially during long surgeries. I've been in like 18, 19 hours. Everyone's exhausted. Everyone's hungry and tired. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you just are like, I'm looking through a little thingy and scooping yeah. out and yeah. using my hands and yeah. et cetera, et cetera. So I think I like that OBGYN just by nature of like some of the procedures and oftentimes the surgeons are also the ones that were like, you know, their primary care and so have developed that primary care yeah. provider, developed that relationship over time. Yeah. So there's a little bit more kind of, of love in there, but it's also my um, big kudos to anesthesiologists because they're the ones that like <laughs> yeah. put everyone to sleep and yeah. you know advocate for the patient. And yeah. I've definitely seen that where the anesthesia yeah. I can't even say anesthesiologists <laughs> are like like come on like we need to you know yeah. patient can hear you like yeah yeah let's be respectful. That was kind of my experience with surgery. So obviously I'm not applying into a surgical specialty and was not a huge fan of surgery. I, I liked the procedures, but I was like I like talking to patients yeah. better. Um, but I think I was I was really surprised that the anesthesiologists are the ones who spend so much time talking to patients that it's actually not so much the surgeons. Um, I definitely don't think surgeons are the you know the only ones who are at fault for for getting patients are are humans. But I think it, it's hard when you don't see you see a patient asleep and you don't get to interact with them as much as a as a human being and you're kind of working on you know a body you know a body part you know in whatever procedure you're doing. So that reminds me of like this beautiful story too where I think I was in neurology and we had a patient that like was in a terrible car accident, young patient, and mm-hmm. came into a coma. And the attending, like before like we were doing rounds, before we talked to the family about like medical things, he stopped and was like, Tell me about your daughter. Mm-hmm. Like what was she like? Because right now she's in a coma. We don't know anything about her, and I really want to just get to know her before yeah. we start talking about medical things. Yeah. Like I could cry right now, but I'm like yeah. that just means like wow, like yes. Yeah. 
yeah. not just a body. But sorry, I couldn't yeah. Lie. No, that's a really cool, yeah, example of how how to like be, like toe that line in medicine, you know. And yeah, I was just gonna say like I think C sections were probably one of the coolest mm-hmm. um, surgeries I've ever seen. They're crazy. Yeah. <laughs> they're crazy, but they're like really they're cool funny. to see. Um, just that, yeah, the patient's awake and they get to obviously you bringing life into the world and getting to see, you know, sometimes people become parents mm-hmm. and it's it's a really cool um, procedure for sure. I would say you also mentioned like interest in like authenticity in medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of the challenges you face to like remaining authentic to yourself and your interests within medical school? Yeah, so definitely a lot of challenges, I think, especially starting your first year. Yeah. Um, I didn't really know anyone who was a doctor and know anyone in medical school. And yeah. like I said, I thought it was psychology, not psychiatry. So clearly, I didn't even know there were like <laughs> board exams or like yeah, residencies. Yeah. So yeah. I just was like, I don't know what yeah. happened there. Um, I was the same way. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> don't know what I'm doing. Still don't know what I'm yeah. doing. So. Still a process. Yeah. So. And I think you just kind of get caught in that trap of like self-comparison and you know yeah. seeing what everyone else is doing and you know it's even stressful we're in this room with like, oh, all I these studying things I'm just like, <laughs> I don't remember those things so <laughs> um, and I think yeah like I think just hearing kind of what everyone else is doing and yeah one of the best advice I got a piece of advice I received was um from my doctoring faculty and he was just like just put your blinders on, like, ignore everyone else, and just keep mm-hmm. going, like, you know who you are, you know what you want to do, like, just be that. Yeah. Um, and, and again, like, it's hard, and it's hard being at, like, an academic institution where yeah. it's, like, research is so important, but then I felt like I've been able to carve out my niche. So, like, yeah. I'm like, okay, yes, research is important here, and now I'm going to focus on music therapy and, yeah. like, yoga, and, like, yeah. similar to how you're doing awesome narrative medicine stuff and yeah. Yeah. with like the medical humanities pathway yeah I think just being like this is who I am and creativity and all of these other aspects of my identity are yeah. just as important as the medicine side of me and so I need to yeah. give them attention and even though it feels kind of like everyone's like what is this person doing or like yeah. <laughs> you know yeah like that it just I think it's important to try to remember who I am at baseline and I think yeah. the times like clinical year when it's really really busy and you don't have time to kind of get back to your root identity like yeah. I can definitely notice a difference and I think most yeah. students feel that yeah like yeah. a period of just like losing themselves and just being stuck in the cycle of yeah. just like wake up work study for the shelf go yeah. back like you know. yeah I think the first years are the hardest for both of the reasons you just mentioned you know and I think even at this point in time even though I'm not comparing myself to anyone it's like we're filling out ERAS applications yeah. and you're looking at your past four years of medical school and you're like how do I compare to everyone because you're obviously you know worried about how you're going to compare in your application um so I think it's really great advice to remind yourself that you have a passion and something you're interested in and to stick to that and you've obviously done such amazing work with Thank that you. so that's that's incredible I think it's really impressive so it's just yeah. scary yeah it's vulnerable and I think yeah. with like our applications coming up um I've gotten you know some feedback about my personal statement which like talks about you know the holistic yeah. stuff of just being like you know this might turn off some people and I think for yeah. me it's just like yeah. important to be true to myself because yeah. I want to be happy and I want to be in a program that does respect and accept that yeah. we have different philosophies of thinking and there's not just one way that's yeah important and I think I would be too afraid of not giving the real like showing the real true me and then yeah. going to a program that thought that I was something different and yeah I think that's fair or being at a program that is not like you know turned off by mindfulness that mm-hmm. would not be a great fit for you yeah. 
when I applied to medical school, I was a women's studies major, mm-hmm. so I talked a lot about like feminism and women's studies in my personal statement. And some people were like, maybe not the best yeah, idea. Yeah. Um, but I was like, I don't want to go to med school that's not you know open to yeah, that or accepting awesome. of that. So that was kind of my my reason for doing it. And I think it's important to, like you said, stay true to yourself and put who you are forward and not try to be somebody else just to please you exactly. know a program that's obviously not interested in exactly. but then so. again scary and vulnerable because yeah. you're like this is yeah. me like i'm la i love women's yeah studies. i do all of this feminism's yeah. great and someone's like nope yeah so it's like feels like a personal attack yeah but like, it does remembering yeah. like you know four agreements if you've read that book like yeah. don't take anything personally yeah just being like that's their belief yeah. and this is mine and yeah and let it pass. yeah and i yeah i don't know if you ascribe to this but like my my like understanding of spirituality is like everything happened everything has a purpose everything mm-hmm. happens for a reason so like if a path is closed to me like right. you know maybe there's a reason for exactly. that no i totally yeah. agree yeah yeah well that's awesome um my last question i have for you is like kind of going off of that what are uh, like ways that you feel we can create more space for like authenticity in medicine so students who are struggling their first and second years with with that what what would be your advice and what do you think we can do more to create a better culture in medicine? It's oh, a beautiful question. Wow. <laughs> I think it'll definitely take a lot of time, um, but I think baby steps and I think yeah. little bits of just taking time to remember like who you are and who you were before medical school yeah. and knowing that being a medical student is not your entire identity, that yeah. you're an entire person completely outside of this and this is something that you do, but it's not who you are. And I think just taking that time to really reflect and think, who are you? Like, what is integral and important to you? Yeah. And then trying to find people that also understand that. And I think being afraid to step away if you do realize that you're getting caught up in the in the bubble. Yeah. Um, but also, I think expecting that it will unfortunately happen. Yeah. Um, this yeah. It's, it's really, really busy, stressful times. Yeah. And, um, and not to be, like, so self, I don't know, like, self-negative or falling yeah. into that. I think that's great because when you're talking, I was like, yeah, you are a whole person right before med school, but med school is also such a transformative process and you, you almost come out, you know, a different person mm-hmm. in a way. And so it's about trying to strike that balance of, of course, staying true to your values and who you are, but recognizing like, wow, I'm going to be like a very different person, not a very different person, but you know what I mean? Like you're going to grow. Yeah. You're going to grow so much yeah. as a, as a person and find new interests and find new ways to practice your passions too which is yeah. like you've done so mm-hmm. yeah I love like looking at yeah. you know our IDs from first year and I'm like oh, yeah so happy yes <laughs> yeah oh, no yeah it's a it's a crazy ride it's yeah. a long four years but you you come out such yeah. a, a such a different person and hopefully with a lot of like growth and transformation sure. too well thank you Kenzie so much for willing to be interviewed and come on to the podcast and Thank you. Yeah, yeah thank you it. for doing this. This is beautiful, yeah. and I'm excited to hear all the other people that you interviewed. Yeah, I'm very excited. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Distant Moon, Stories of Healthcare Education. You can find us on oxycardia.com, Spotify or Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.